millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good afternoon and welcome to this second tier podcast. I'm Justin Peach and I'm joined by a standing co-host, my good friend Nick Parkhouse, who's replaced Ryan Dilks this week. How are you, Nick? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very much the Angela Scanlon of this operation. Angela Scanlon, not, not heard of that name. She's, she sits in on the one show when Alex Jones is pregnant, I think. Well, you're a lot better looking than Ryan and Ryan's not pregnant, is away on holiday, as I've pointed out. It's wrong to go on holiday during the season. Do you agree? I don't know what he was thinking. Where's he gone? New York. He's, he's doing a few places in America. And he's gone to see NFL. Not, not a second-tier football, though. So so not football at all? Technically football, but American football. Right, it's not football, though, is it? Exactly. Right. Uh, just a quick run-through of today. Slightly different uh, feel to the pod uh, so we're going to be running through the games, but not as detailed as we normally do. And we're going to draw up on a couple of issues that we feel have, well, should be brought up pretty much in the second tier. So we're going to look into VAR in the championship. We know a lot of fans have been shortchanged with decisions, especially this weekend. Christ, there's been a few penalty shouts. And as well as that, a good debate always is FFP. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Nick, who's going to as I say, take Ryan's place today and, yeah, business as usual. Crack on. Right. Well, start, should we start at the top of the table, I suppose? Leeds 1, Derby 1. Possibly the most one-sided draw in the history of the Football League. <laughs> yes. Well, it's typical Leeds, isn't it, really? They dominate games at home. Uh, they have plenty of chances and they don't put them away. It's It's been a thorn in their side this, this season. And uh, I pointed out to you before the podcast, Derby's XG was lower than Watford's, who were panned 8-0 this week, um, I mean, it's which the, says it's, something. It's the second time in three matches that Leeds have conceded a last-minute. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they lost to Swansea, uh, conceded a last-minute equaliser um, yesterday. Yeah. So, what do you think it is? Just can't see a game out? I mean, they missed a penalty <sighs> as well, didn't they? So, they could have been yeah. out of sight by... I think. I want to say this one was more luck because obviously they should have beat Derby. Ruse got man of the match and he was the goalkeeper. Well, he got man of the match on who scored. He was the highest rated player in the game. They missed the penalty. It could have easily been 2-0. Bamford hit the post. It was one of them games where it wasn't happening for Leeds. But when you don't put teams away, especially now against Leeds, it's giving teams confidence. And as as you as you pointed out, teams have, have gone there. They've sat behind. That's the last three games teams have scored late against Leeds at home and it really is a problem that needs addressing for Bielsa but it's early on in the season they will find the time to to, to get it right it was a terrible penalty as well 
Yeah, it's just, again, another another <laughs> slow run-up. Not quite Lyle Telly's quality for Charlton, but, yeah, not the best, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be off penalty due to his click. Um, but you're right, I mean, they've had most shots in the Championship this season, most shots on target, mm-hmm. only Preston QPR, I think, have scored more goals. They've conceded the fewest goals. Yeah. You know, and any stats comparison they're way ahead of everyone yeah, else so. absolutely they're, they, they're off the scale in terms of their XG almost every week it's it's bizarre that they're not they're not seeing these games out but as I say they, they've got to improve I, I feel that I feel they will they, they've got the quality we know they have but is it is it a personnel change is it this is it that you know time will tell but not too much to worry about but there's a bit of concern there um, and they're on top on goal difference from Swansea, who mm-hmm. um, stopped Bristol City scoring for the first time this season. Yeah, I, I can't help but think it's the lack of a phobia might have helped that. It's a it's a cruel injury to have, especially the you know he's going to be out for the season. And he's a, he's a, what not only is he a nice guy, he's a good player, and he started to pick up form again after a couple of seasons where he's not necessarily been in the wilderness, but not really been there. Um, I think Bristol shitty, Bristol, Bristol shitty. That, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. yeah. oh, maybe, maybe yesterday they were. Yeah. Um, they could, they feel probably might feel short change here. I thought Bristol City could have won it. Swansea held on in there. And then Preston uh, yeah. up to third, one one nil at St Andrews. Uh, Sean Maguire's third goal of the season. Um, a little bit unlucky, Birmingham. They had a goal disallowed for offside. I think. Yeah, I mean. Who knows if it was offside? Obviously, the the angle there wasn't great, but well, both teams could have had penalties. I don't know what Harley Dean was thinking in the first few minutes to push Maguire two hands in the back, almost. Um, and then, yeah, Birmingham should have had a penalty with that handball from Ben Davis. But you know, decisions like that they level themselves out. Um, but yeah, it's a good a good performance from Preston because one of my worries was for them was their away form, but they're starting to pick up points away from home, and if they can. Contain one well not contains so we keep up this momentum. They can easily finish in the playoffs because they've got the quality in the squad. It's always been about consistency for them, um, but they're starting to show that now. They're sort of due a promotion, aren't they? Because they've been close, haven't they? Yes, over what yeah. fifteen years, probably. But... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, my uh, Craig Bryson quiz player last week was Chris Sedgwick, and he was part of that golden era for Preston where they were flirting with promotion in the playoffs. Didn't quite happen for him, and um, yeah, as you say, they'd probably do another run like that. They've got the quality in the squad. They've got a, a relatively young squad that are full of players that aren't necessarily well known. It's a it's a good squad. It's a a balanced squad, and yeah, they can kick on. And then up to fourth, um, QPR um, mm. went to Millwall. Not an easy place to go. Um, yeah. Naki Wells with a couple of goals, gifted the second one. Oh, God, um, yeah. Terrible goalkeeping, but um, another two-one win and, and up to fourth. Yes, yeah, I wouldn't say we're necessarily surprised by QPR. I know we we got a lot of stick from QPR fans for our predictions, uh, and I mean we got a lot of stick, and we still get a lot of stick from QPR fans. But fair enough, we we predicted them to finish low, and they're you know shoving that in their faces a bit. And absolutely, absolutely so. They're they're scoring goals. Much better than they're much more effective going forward than they were last season. As I say, defensively they've always been a bit of a not a liability, but as we saw last week with the goalkeeper passing it to to an opposition player, 
Um, but games like this where you go to Millwall, which is a horrible place to go, every fan and player will, will tell you that. Um, and to get a win, come away with a win, scoring two goals away at Millwall is a hard thing to do, and they've done that. Yeah, I mean, they've got two Premier... I mean, I appreciate they're both on loan. They've got two Premier League mm. quality strikers, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, Naki Wells has proven he's a goal scorer at championship level. Jordan Hugo less so, but he's even he surprised us this season because of how uh, prolific he's been. He's never been one to put chances away, but he started doing that this season. Um, and yeah, QPR have got two great strikers um, who are always going to be going to be up there for for, for goals. Okay, um, Wigan. Uh, first got their first win since the opening day. Beat Charlton two mm. now. I think that you have speculated that Charlton might <laughs> I, end up yeah further down the table than they may have started. I disagreed, and I, I spoke to Ryan yesterday, and he's pretty disappointed that he's not here to talk about Charlton's what, how he told demise. everyone that this was going to happen. Yes. Right, okay. And I suspect he's going to rub it in my face when he's back, but. Charlton had chances in this game. They had chances to, to equalise and they conceded from two set pieces. So might not necessarily paint a picture, but I know Ryan's going to look at the data and go, well, this was coming. Um, but credit to Wigan, they kept, they kept a clean sheet, which is something they've not been able to do pretty much all season. I know they've got a couple of nil-nil draws on the way, but yeah. They, they're they're going to struggle, up. Wigan, if... I mean, the centre-half's not going to score two goals every exactly, week. Exactly, so. exactly. Yeah, Shea Dunkley on the score sheet twice, which is... I love seeing centre half score, especially when they it's get braces. Good, the first one was a good finish, I yeah. think. Yeah, hit it on the volley. It was a nice, nice finish. Also worth mentioning, Michael Jacobs with some absolute shit housery, not giving the ball back, just sets a bad precedent for teams. And obviously, Darren Prattley getting one of their players in a chokehold was even better. And the referee didn't do anything. He did absolutely nothing, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, that was that was very <laughs> strange. Um, Fulham, seventy-one percent possession. Um, against Sheffield Wednesday for all the good it did them, I suppose. Finished one all. Uh, it's, again, injury time equaliser for Wednesday. Yeah, it's typical Fulham. Typical Fulham. I don't. We we said this last week that there's a there's a good balance of having possession and controlling games, but you can control games without the ball. And Gary Monk teams do that. They they set traps for you and then they hit you, and that's pretty much what they did all game. They had the better chances in the game. Um, and obviously that the goal was was coming and it come from the cult hero Norhu, who is an absolute tank. Uh, but great wing play from Kadeem Harris again. Yeah, I was going to say he was, it, it was superb yeah, assist. Yeah, he, he he created a couple of chances for for Chef Wednesday. And he's as I've pointed out pretty much all season. He's going to be such a big player for for Chef Wednesday. And they got him in a free transfer. He's easily worth five or six million with his current form. So yeah. Disappointing and, result, and and again, sort of illustrates that Tom Kearney scored for uh, scored Fulham's goal. To just why he never got looking last season. Just he was, how important he was when they went up. Yeah, and then basically didn't get a game. He uh, he does he does it well where he he can dictate the game and he can easily be out of the game for five ten minutes finding space. Um, but once he once he gets on the ball, especially in the middle third, he can start to control control how the team does and I think that's going to be key for Fulham especially in this period of where they're just not putting teams away they've got the quality to do it and they should be doing it um, and they're not doing it and as you say 
yeah, he's he's got the quality for them, and um, yeah, there needs to be an improvement from Fulham. Okay, um, Forest um, won again. Ben Watson's first goal since April 2016, apparently, was enough to beat Barnsley one um, 0 Barnsley a little bit unlucky. Yeah, the, I think they're the only team in the football league not to have scored away from home this season. Wow, I, that, that's a start. That's a that's a great start. I, I didn't I didn't realize they came that. pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Forest keeper Bryce Summer had another amazing game. So. Yeah, special mention to him because he's been outstanding since he he came in. I I expected him to fill the numbers, um, but he's he's been absolutely brilliant. You know, he's displaced Murich, who could he had have, a shaky start, didn't he? In fairness, but he's not looked good in no. any game I've watched him in. Um, but he's obviously still young. But yeah, Bryce Samba is uh, he's been quality and he's. He's come in ahead of three other keepers and, and done the business. Uh, he's kept another clean sheet here where Forrest could could have easily lost it if they were against a team that was more experienced and more clinical. Um, but that's they're the sort of results that get you into the playoffs where you grind out wins, especially especially against teams that not dominate you, but as you say, carve out the better chances. But yeah, Ben Watson, Ginger Pele. The Ginger Pele. I mean, they seem to have got quite a solid core don't they Forrest I mean the keeper mm. obviously is four clean sheets I think in six matches yeah. since he came in you've got Worrell and Dawson mm-hmm. at the back uh, Watson and Sal Semedo yeah. in the midfield yeah, yeah, yeah. and Graben who mm-hmm. I suppose at this level is is pretty sound yeah settled settled spine is always going to be good and they've got ex- a mix of experience and tenacity in there with Semedo <laughs> who is Probably one of my favourite players so far this season, and Sal is quite easily coming up to that. And what they lack in creativity in that middle, they make up for in experience, which is which is what got them result. The result. Okay, another one. No win was at Cardiff. Beat Middlesbrough. Uh, Ashley Fletcher. Ashley Fletcher. There's there's someone who's never ever <laughs> done anything ever, despite a lot of money being spent. <laughs> well, that that money was suspect under Gary Monk's agent. Um, um, but we won't go into that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so his, his contribution was to uh, edit past his own keeper after two minutes, and that was enough for a Cardiff win. Yeah, it epitomises why you shouldn't have your strikers in your box defending. But if I could have written down a result that was going to be a low-scoring game, it would have been this one quite easily. Um, but Cardiff looked a lot more attacking than they have been in the last few 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 games. God, the, the, the fullbacks were getting forward; they were putting balls in the box, and they could have won this by two or three. Um, again, Randolph keeping keeping them out, but yeah, not much to say on this game other than he, uh, I saw Jonathan Walker get interviewed after the game. He does appear to be a miserable bastard. <laughs> I don't quite know why, but he did seem. I mean, I know his team have just lost, but yeah. he did seem quite humourless. Oh, he's had one of those careers that he's quite humourless. I suppose. Yeah, yeah he got up to the northeast to to Real Madrid for Real Madrid to career to be done in fourteen minutes. Yeah, that was one of the great debuts in world football ever, wasn't it? (laughs) Absolutely, downhill from there. Um, Reading 1, Blackburn 2. Blackburn are a team that are quietly going about improving, I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I've put here. They're just quietly getting on with it, and the only thing that I'm surprised at here that they didn't keep a clean sheet. They've they've picked up four massively since the first few games where there was a mini-meltdown amongst supporters. And we we were criticising them as well because they just they couldn't defend. The defending was terrible, um, but they've really picked up. And what they've got now is again similar to Forest. Really, they've got a good spine up the up the um, up the middle of the park. And now Armstrong's come in with a 
with a goal. I expect him to start scoring. And Bradley Dack, who's really picked up form now, I expect him to, to start going as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Blackburn compete in that top half this season if they can keep this level of performance up, obviously. Um, but yeah, I was quite surprised Reading didn't didn't get the result. Maybe it's because I'm underestimating Blackburn. But that's probably Blackburn's strength at the minute is the teams are going to keep doing that. They're going to keep getting results. Yeah, John Swift with the goal for Reading, he's a good player, isn't he? He's Yeah, he's really picked up in, well, this season. He's more or less had the shackles taken off him. He's not, I say he's more, more of a roaming playmaker than a deep-lying playmaker than what he has been, and that's really helped him. He's now creating more chances than most midfielders in the league. He's been quite easily being one of the best players in the league, and I'd say he's he's a sort of a, a nailed on for the uh, one of the players of the season to be well, to be in the running anyway. Um, if he keeps up his form, and, and how's it going? Is that, I mean, the Reading's form is pretty poor. Utterly convinced that they're going to finish above. You know, he says teams in the top half of the league are going to finish below Reading. Yes, it doesn't. The on-field displays doesn't really. Strike this just strike me as inconsistent. They've got a a young team, which again had a poor start, but they picked up again. They just need to get players firing, which they haven't done for a few games. Um, but I'm I'm sort of quite satisfied that Reading aren't going to finish in the bottom three as I thought they might do um, at the start of the season. But you know, if they don't, these are the games they should be getting results in, and it's games like this that are go, that's going to be the difference in that. Um, big movers uh, in the championship this week up to 14 for Hull uh, went to Luton and uh, quite a surprise I suppose a 3-0 win uh, from home <laughs> not when you see the defending in this game well the, the, the <laughs> third goal was a particular comedy highlight but yeah uh, yeah the, the result I wouldn't say it's been coming but they've they've been scoring goals they just haven't been defending very well and to keep a clean sheet away from home against Luton and then it's a tough place to go especially when you when the teams that are down there, it's like Hull, as I've said previously, you know these are the games where Luton need to pick up points. Um, so I'm surprised. I am surprised by this result because I thought Luton might might edge it. But fair play to Hull, they're back to their attacking best. That that third goal, the comedy goal, was was carved by Bowen, absolutely rinsing the the defenders and <laughs> no idea how it was kept out. But yeah, credit to Kevin Stewart as well with that first goal, nearly took the roof off the net. And, and George Long in um, the whole goal did mm. make a couple of decent saves. Yeah, and he looks quite handy. I mean, he was second choice to David Marshall last yeah. season. Um, I don't know David how Marshall's gone to Wigan. Yeah, terrible. Um, but he's played every game this season and made a couple of really impressive saves yesterday. I thought. Yeah, well, he yeah obviously he came through the 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 ranks at Sheffield United, and again, not necessarily an expiring goalkeeper. Um, compared to others, but he's quietly got on with the number one shirt. He's done well for, for Hull this season. Um, so that potential that he had is clearly paying off. And Stoke, finally off the bottom <laughs> of the league. A, a tiny step in the right direction. A nil-nil draw at Brentford is, in, in any previous season, would have been a great result. This season, maybe not quite so much. Oh, but, well, yeah. but maybe the first step... To finishing 18th. <laughs> well, you'd hope so, yeah. God, that 
as I was saying to you before before we started recording, that result against Derby for Brentford seems like an anomaly. They can't seem to get that blend back where they defend well and and score goals as well. They just they're just not 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 doing it at the moment. Um, when the team with the with the, they conceded the most amount of goals before this weekend come to Griffin Park, you expect Brentford to turn them over quite easily. But fair play to Stoke, obviously not hindered by Joe Allen doing anything stupid or missing from a yard out that always helps but yeah it's a, it is a step in the right direction because they didn't lose I mean I was looking at the Stoke squad list mm. it's ridiculous isn't it you yeah know, Bruno Montzini playing in a World Cup semi-final you know yeah less, <laughs> you know, less than how five many years, years ago yeah. four years ago whatever yeah. it was and you know they've got Joe Allen and, and mm. Shawcross is still there and just you think what well, it but, should yeah. be good enough shouldn't it the, the quality is there but that, perhaps that's half of the issue maybe they should have completely torn the, the team apart uh, when they got relegated and started afresh sometimes it doesn't work but there are obviously a lot of big earners there that probably didn't get the moves that they wanted Jack Button's a good example and their form since has been absolutely dreadful so but a point yeah, but I a point, point in the right direction um, and the new um, team at the foot of the division uh, uh, Huddersfield just uh, yeah. went to I suppose they scored twice. It's looking on the bright side. Yeah, it's, but obviously lost four two to West Brom. First time they scored two goals in a game this season, which is obviously a step in the right direction for them. It was a plucky performance. They looked a lot better this in this game than they have done in any previous game. Obviously, scoring two goals, as I say, is is a, is, a, is the right step. They looked more intent going forward. Their press was a lot better, um, but obviously they still look really poor at the back the goals especially the last two goals where Matt Phillips was unmarked to, to slot it in and Sammy Ajayi was also unmarked to head it in that's that might be the next sort of area of, well obviously an area improvement that they need to they need to look at but a step in the right uh, right direction as I say and a good result for West Brom professional performance from West Brom they do look good West Brom don't they yeah one of their issues has been putting teams away um, but obviously, scoring four goals is only going to give them confidence going forward. Matt Phillips is, you know, finally being clinical. I don't think he's been at his best, especially in the final third this season. So those two goals, especially, uh, they're, they're going to do in the world of good confidence-wise. And um, yeah, they've got a range of options attacking-wise. It's quite frightening. We've pointed out many times they just need their strikers to get on the score sheet now. They look to me like automatic. Promotion. I know it's still yeah. only had eight games or whatever it is, but they they look the best. If you take Leeds out of the question, look like the best of the rest. Squad wise, they've got it. They've got a manager who knows what he's doing in Billich, and yeah, as I say, they've got a lot of options and they're still unbeaten. So that sort of gives you a good indication of what they can do. Definitely. There we go. So that's. Have I missed anyone? I think that's everybody. Came this yeah. season this, so, this week. We can move on to the next section, which is VAR in the Championship, which is a hot topic for me. Okay, I've said it. Ex- explain why it's a hot topic. Well, I've obviously I've been to a lot of games this season, um, and I've seen a lot of awful decisions. Uh, going to the Derby West Brom game, it was one-one. Um, it could have quite easily been. 2-2 in terms of penalties but the, the referee quite clearly decided to give West Brom a penalty where it didn't look like a trip um, and the, the I think it was the 
second derby penalty, which was contentious because it came across from the left-hand side and it looked like it hit the uh, midfielder on the arm, but it actually hit him on the shoulder and the linesman gave it. Those sort of decisions for me, just they aren't really acceptable. And that's why I think, especially VR, it needs to be in the championship. Steve Gibson pointed out in The Athletic this week that um, the standard of refereeing this season has been poor. And he put it down to the stand. Well, I put it down to the standard of football going up in the in the league, especially in the last sort of five years. The, the amount of players that have come from the Premier League that have dropped down, have, you know, it's been ridiculous. You got players like Pablo Hernandez playing in the Championship, which you couldn't have foreseen five six years ago. Um, and obviously, the, the standard of refereeing hasn't gone up; it's just got worse. So for me, VAR needs to be implemented at least in certain aspects of the game. To, to really start helping out officials. Okay. The I mean the the Spurs Leicester game yesterday mm-hmm. is a great example of how VAR hasn't actually helped. Yeah. You know, there's there was an offside which was you know, his toenail was maybe <laughs> offside if you looked at it from a yeah. certain angle or whatever. Uh you know, he's got this goal's being disallowed, mm. left, right and centre that it, the, my understanding when it was brought in was that it was supposed to get rid of clear mistakes. Yeah. You know, so when someone's was clearly offside, mm-hmm. penalties, clearly yeah. a dive or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be being used for almost everything, mm. which isn't clearing up a lot of the decisions. Exactly. That's that's one of my issues with it, as you say. It's, it's pretty much being used for everything. I personally don't think it should be used for offsides unless unless the player is about five yards offside if he's if he's a finger length or a toe length it's pretty pointless because has the has the attacker gained an advantage from being a quarter of an inch ahead of the defender not really no um but certain things certain aspects especially like penalties yesterday in the Birmingham game we saw Harley Dean as I mentioned uh, earlier on in the episode he, he pushed over Sean Maguire quite obviously yeah. referee didn't give it and then the linesman's got a great view of the Ben Davis handball and he didn't give it those two are nailed on penalties for me obviously even this game out anyway but, but, there's... but where do you draw the line so yeah in that instance okay yes you might have mm-hmm. got a penalty for each side but there's been lots of examples this season where because it's being used for other things as well, it's it's ruling out good goals, it's giving poor goals, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think part of it is some of the rule changes haven't helped. The handball yeah. rule is just, uh, frankly, absolutely nuts. Yeah. Ridiculous. Um, but I'm not sure that VAR is clear cleaning up the bad decisions as everyone thought it might. So VAR is almost making more bad decisions than it is making good ones at the moment. Um, as you pointed out, the Spurs game almost makes things as unclear as they should be making them clear. Um, so, then, so then, why do you want it in the championship? Because the referees are making more. Well, the officials are making more and more mistakes, and it's and it's well, it's almost getting worse. Like Middlesbrough this season have been, well, they've been really unlucky. They have, especially in the first three or four games, you can almost point to four or five penalties that they well decisions that they could have had their way that changed the course of the games that's points lost and that's because of bad decisions not 
because of anything else. And you can't put it down to luck because the officials have got a job to do and they're not doing it. For me, going to most Derby games, obviously I'll, I'll be biased, but again, going back to that West Brom game, Bilic was sent to the stands because he was quite rightly protesting a decision that shouldn't have been given. That's not fair. Um, going to the Derby-Cardiff game as well, um, there was uh, a contentious... For the Derby penalty, it was quite contentious because Wagon, it hit Wagon's hand. Um, but then Carlis penalty, Zohor handballed it before he got fouled. Those things get brought to attention with VAR and it allows referees a bit of breathing space and it might even help the standard of refereeing in the championship because it's nowhere near the Premier League. Do you not think that referees are giving fewer decisions because they think that VAR will rescue them and that the VAR team are also not giving the decisions because they don't want to override Mm. the on-pitch decision? Yeah. So you're ending up with a sort of umpire's call scenario mm. where <laughs> it neither of them are getting it right. Yeah, it's it's a bit strange that they're not even not even going to the TVs. It's not like they're trying to make a spectacle of it. There's the the Harry Kane one um against Villa. Was it against Villa where he stepped in front of the defender and the defender no, it was Newcastle. And obviously they lost that game, but it quite easily could have been a penalty. But Mike Dean didn't give it in the first place. VAR didn't give it because he felt that it wasn't a clear and obvious error. Um, but he could have given it if he'd have seen it again from a different angle. Obviously, angles, obviously, they paint a different picture at times. But for me, I just think that extra help almost eradicates 50% of bad decisions. Again, going back to the, the Charlton game yesterday, Darren Prattley could have easily been sent off for getting the player in getting the opposition player in a chokehold. Um so they obviously need this extra help for me. It's 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 a no brainer in my head. Obviously he needs fine tuning because every decision is subjective. Um But that's the problem, isn't it? That that you know, yes, all right, this season we've seen a few occasions where there's been a clear error hmm. or a clear something that needs reversing or yeah. you know let's have a quick look is it onside yes it is crack on but it hasn't cleared up that issue of there being interpretation but that's that's why the handball is as straightforward as it is now as well as offsides so even if you're offside by a toenail you're offside so that eradicates the subjectiveness out of it and obviously it's quite difficult with certain tackles which is why I think it should be discretion so that that shouldn't be influenced by VAR. It's just for me, it's got to be penalties, things that change games are penalties, um, offsides, and um, red card tackles. Yeah, red card tackles. So there's sort of the three three aspects that I think should be. What about taking an idea from tennis or from cricket and giving teams three challenges? That's going to be a nightmare. You get you can I, review three decisions in the game, but yeah. once you've used up your reviews, you know they're gone. And but but obviously we saw in the the cricket was it the third test where it was a sort of a game changing LBW yeah. yeah where he, did he choose to review it or not to review it? They'd use the review yeah 
in the previous over for something ludicrous, yeah. And that 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 completely changed the swing of that that test. But then it's the but then the responsibility lies with the team or with the captain, doesn't it? Yeah, but how do you pick and choose what moments you? Well, that's again that's to... up to the team to decide, the captain or whatever to decide what. Yeah, that almost like that almost like that. One of the key arguments against VAR is, well, it takes the passion out. It takes the in the moment out of it and obviously if you're then deciding whether or not to contest a decision because you feel that it's definitely a penalty or or whatnot then that that takes time out of something that could be free flowing etc so i think that almost opens up a can of worms that isn't necessarily going to be not effective but do we not useful. see better referees do we not need to just improve the referee training yeah, or but, something? Yeah, or? all the good ones go up to the Premier League and then the, the lower leagues, second tier onwards, are left with the shit ones. It's it's frustrating because we, for me as a supporter, I don't want to get irate at the officials because my team does that enough for me and that getting more irate at officials just probably shortens my life expectancy by... A number of years, every every season. Um, so yeah, we, obviously we do need better re- referees, but they're not getting better on their own. They need help. So yeah, it's a good argument for VAR. Okay, I, I'm less convinced that it would solve. It's not a magic bullet that solves all the problems. Though. It isn't yet, but it helps them. Okay. Well, they could just do what they do in the MLS, which is an absolute show of it. Make it interesting. Go to the TV screen every time. Get it on the scoreboard. Or just Get abolish the, the offside rule. Get rid of the offside rule. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Darren Bent would have loved that when he was playing. Yeah. <laughs> and British some longer. FFP. So another, yes, another three letters that have um, sent shivers down the spine of... Uh, Everybody. Quite a few teams. Um, you've got those stats there that I... I've, saw the other day absolutely mm-hmm. astonishing that last season the wage bill of the combined the combined wage bill of all the teams in the mm-hmm. championship more than the combined revenue of all the teams in the championship yeah so you're effectively saying that you pay more out in wages than you are taking in and that isn't that ignores every other expenditure that you have as a club yeah you know the maintenance of the stadium and god mm-hmm. knows what else just is nuts it's horrendous spending it's it's blown out of proportion in the last well five or six why, years why is that is that just because the prize for promotion is so high is that yeah it's it's a, it's a weird one it's it's sort of a, it's a catch-22 situation where the prize of promotion is this high and you think that everything's going to be better when you get there but yeah okay your revenue jumps up but the risk of coming down you're you're back to square one in a way because you've then got a Sell off your best assets, Derby Stadium in this case. Um, we'll come back to that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sell off your best assets, and mediocre assets are then on higher wages, which isn't necessarily justified, and you can't move them on. Stoke's a good example of that because no one's going to buy Sh- uh, Ryan Shawcross for five or six million because he's probably, his wages are probably too high for what they want to yeah. sign him for. So it's a bit of a catch twenty two. I, I see why um owners want to get there. It's the reason why they buy clubs, I imagine. Um but the risks far outweigh the costs of it. 
and in a nutshell, the rules are your income has to be within, you know, has to exceed your expenditure, but you're allowed to make a loss of, is it about five million pounds, isn't it, I think? It's like it's accumulated over three years, which makes it even more com- confusing. Yeah. I I understand why, but for the sake of ease, just make it an annual thing. So if you go over that threshold in a year, either give them a points deduction because you've overspent this year or another punishment. Um, but yeah, it's like a, it's 15 million over like three years. Um, so for me, it, it doesn't work the way it should because then teams almost have this right shit we've got to do it within three years so we best spend more to get there Birmingham City are an example of that because their expenditure has been their wages have been like 120 cent plus their overall expenditure so they're way overspending on wages alone Um, so they're they're a good example of of that specific scenario so and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily even the playing field because no. because there's not a flat amount of money that you're allowed to spend because it's based mm. on your own club's yeah. income and expenditure. So last season, for example, you've got Leeds United with yeah. a forty thousand stadium, you've got mm-hmm. Burton Albion. So they're both allowed to make a five million quid loss or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But because it's based on your own club's income, yeah. it doesn't do anything to try and level the yeah. playing field anyway. Exactly. It just limits what a certain club can do. Almost limits their potential in a way although it's trying to help them by not by saying don't overspend you'd be in the shit if you do it's it's creating what is is effectively the premier league it's your your top six and then everybody else because there's no way that teams like in the past rotherham are going to be able to compete with teams like leeds just based on income alone because obviously leeds have got a forty thousand seat stadium they're a big club whereas Rotherham are not so big uh, with the greatest of respect um, we've seen teams go up before Burnley you know Brentford are trying their, their, Bournemouth, their best yeah. Bournemouth but uh, Burnley aside Bournemouth they overspent so teams still do it and it and it can be done but it's still it's not levelling the playing field as you say and the current hot topic at the moment is um, so Steve Gibson the chairman of Middlesbrough is <laughs> suing the EFL mm-hmm. because he thinks that Derby specifically have broken the rules. Yes. By so Derby made too big a loss. Mm-hmm. So to get around that they sold the stadium to themselves. Yes. Essentially. Mm-hmm. And they're not the first club to do that. No. Reading did it I think Chef Wednesday yeah, I and think Al- Aston Villa. Villa. Yeah. But it does seem well, one, you can only do that once. Yeah. So you, that's not a long-term solution to overspending, no. is it? Because you haven't got... <laughs> you can't oh, yeah. keep selling your stadium. Um, <laughs> Buy it back for a pound. Secondly, doesn't it run into the scenario where, like, the Coventry situation, where suddenly you end up not being able to play in your own stadium because your stadium's owned by someone else and they suddenly decide they don't want to... Yeah. You know, they're going to increase the rent, you don't want to pay it. But is it, isn't it... I mean, clearly it's a loophole, mm-hmm. but surely it's wrong. Well, we had this debate, and I said, no, I'll save it for the podcast. It's quite interesting. I don't think, I think it's morally a little bit uh, blurry. Just like the I, the lead Spygate scenario is 
a great example because Leeds didn't break any rules. Although Bielsa came out and said, yeah, okay, we were looking into the training, we were trying to gain an advantage. That can be labelled as cheating, but they didn't break any specific rules, but the EFL still punished them. Now, it's slightly different because Derby, Chef Wednesday, Reading haven't broken any rules, but they have exploited what a rule they've exploited a rule that should be there that isn't there so they've basically sold their assets for an inflated price for me that isn't doing anything wrong because they haven't broke any specific rules set by the EFL although as I say still morally a little bit unclear just like Spygate just like Middlesbrough when they I think they sold off tax debt so it sort of helped their FFP. You know, teams teams exploit loopholes or wherever. The the only sort of specific way you can cheat in football, I think, is if you if you're if you're diving. That's a great example of gaining an advantage over your team, over another team. I just I don't think that it sort of highlights the aspect of the EFL not being fit for purpose. And as we've seen, teams have struggled because of the EFL. And the 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 whole FFP model just doesn't work at all. Well, I mean, you only have to look at someone like Manchester City. You've been roundly found guilty of breaching yeah. regulations and WhatsApp very little. There mm-hmm. was they threatened to exp- expel them from the Champions League. Yeah. That never happened. Yeah, you know, um, I think that the, um, the the problem is is that there'll always be... So the, so the outlaw selling the stadium, then what do you do? You sell your star player to a separate limited company mm-hmm. or something? Yeah. Whatever, you make 10 yeah. million quid by selling them, they stay with your team and they're registered, but somebody else owns them, mm-hmm. you end up in that sort of scenario. So you... you Clubs are always... It's like a leaky bucket, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, put, you plug one hole, but someone will find another way of mm-hmm. exploiting it elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. That's why the rules should be a lot more straightforward. As I, as I said at the start of the discussion on, on FFP, why is it not an annual review rather than every three years? And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the AFL have proved this season alone that they're absolutely spectacularly unfit for purpose with the, the, Berry, yeah. the whole Berry scenario. Yeah. You know, they never even... You know, they didn't do the due diligence mm-hmm. on the guy who took them over and they've been expelled from the league. The yeah. Bolton thing... Exactly yeah. the same, you know. It's it's the the, the regulation or the oversight is appalling. The, yeah, they're, they're com- and now I read that the championship are looking to the the prospect of forming a separate yeah. league is it's, back on the agenda. It's unsurprising because the EFL has completely fucked things up for the past eighteen twenty four months. Everything they've tried to do has been completely inept. Obviously, the fit and proper persons test is. A complete waste of time. It's shit anyway. It's it's pointless. FFP, the way they govern FFP, it's obviously different for the Premier League because no one loses money in the Premier League. But the way they, you know, the way they handle FFP in the the Championship and I don't think the lower league clubs are particularly affected by it is, as I say, completely inept. It it goes down to, you know, if, if they review things annually, so say my club made a, Fifteen million pound loss last season. They should then be deducted points, six points for this season. 
it's been highlighted that both Derby and Villa, who both sold their stadiums uh, last season, they were in the playoff final. So did they gain an advantage by having players that they can't afford? Possibly. So why not then deduct those two clubs for making a loss this season before six points? Because that's, that's what happened but there, before I, they sold the Sadies. But your devil's advocate there is you have a star player, you sell them for 20 million quid one season mm-hmm. and make a massive profit one season. The following season you make a loss of a million or a bit more than the yeah. FFP and you get penalised despite actually your business is running pretty well. Yeah. Because anybody who runs their own business makes mm-hmm. more money one year than they do another yeah. year. So that well, that's where it gets obviously really confusing. Beyond my level of knowledge on on financial fair play, all we I think everybody can agree on how crap the AFL are with it, and how much the FFP just doesn't work for any club. One of the things I've put down here is what about a salary cap? But then. Again, that's difficult. But again, is that a fixed number, or is that seventy uh, percent of your club's income? Or well, yeah, exactly. Wh- wh- where do you go with that? And again, that's gonna, you know, if you, if you put it as a, you know, you can't, your total salary bill can't be more than sixty percent mm-hmm. of your turnover. That again doesn't help smaller small clubs. clubs. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's why. That's why there's hardly there's hardly a solution because everything's based on a club by club basis, but. Again, I've brought Birmingham before an example, but they're a good example of they're overspending massively on wages. They've obviously they were punished last season for it. That should then be reciprocated with every club. Um, one thing to point out as well that the EFL obviously are investigating the stadium sales for Dar- uh, to, with Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, and Reading, but Derby recently this week released a statement saying the EFL signed off on their finances. So the EFL going back on something that they've already reviewed and approved. Yeah. Which again just highlights how shit they are. Like they I don't know how law abiding it is, I'm not a lawyer. But they what seems to be they've seen something, they've said, Yeah, that's fine and then because more clubs and whatnot have kicked up a fuss, they've gone, Well actually no, yeah, okay, we'll review it. Get off your arse and do it first. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I bury on my second team. You know, I used yeah. to go to Gig Lane when I used to live up there. So yeah. you don't have to tell me that the AFL, are, <laughs> you know, complete shower currently. So it, it, it's an interesting debate, and I really do hope that it gets taken more seriously. Because although I'm a Derby fan, I I don't necessarily agree with the stadium sale. As you said, the Coventry situation does resonate in the back of my head a little bit, just because. What if Mel Morris suddenly loses all of his money? He's got to sell off his assets to the banks, the councils, etc. Yeah, someone comes along, buys a controlling stake in Derby, like at Sheffield United, forces him out. Yeah, he gets the hump. He owns the stadium. This is now. I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm moving in here There's now. All this, sorts this, of yeah, here. and it's, it's it's it it is a worry, but that there should have been a rule. How there wasn't a rule like that in the first place. It's same with spying. Like it's a no-brainer, surely. Just. There needs to be a serious review, and obviously they've got a new chairman this week. Um, so hopefully, it gets sorted. Uh, assuming the championship doesn't leave the AFL, which we have been, within the <laughs> week speculating that they're trying again. So moving on to championship news this week, it's been an interesting week. Um, Erling Haaland, star of the RB Salzburg's Champions League win, also son of Alf 
Inter Holland, uh, said that he wants to win the Premier League with Leeds United. Okay. Can you see that happening? Well, it's a bold claim, isn't it? I mean, there's there there was talk of him joining of because he trained under uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when mm. he was at Molde. There's talk of him coming to Manchester United. <laughs> you wonder how Roy Keane feels about that. But he's yeah. uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know he's he's scored a lot of goals, hasn't he? In, yeah. in for was he the youngest Champions League hat trick debutant yeah. since Rooney? I think when he um, scored at the week, yeah. didn't he? Uh, you know, clearly he's a decent player. Uh, you know, he wants to win the Premier League with Leeds, right? Okay, it's uh, it's adorable. He could win the Championship with Leeds, couldn't he? Not at not at the moment. <laughs> oh no, yeah, <laughs> won't go into that. Um, Lewis Holt be signed for Blackburn this week. Yeah, that was a good one, isn't it? I mean, he's only twenty nine, I think. So yeah. you know, he he had a you know he played he had a short spell at Spurs not all that successful I don't think I think mm. he only played 25 games a yeah. bit of time at Fulham didn't he but when he arrived from Schalke you know he was a full German international at that point I think so yeah I think he's got well he's got three caps for Germany which is still pretty decent because it was that era of Boateng Muller and yep. and co but what a signing for Blackburn I didn't see this one coming I saw a few fan accounts on Twitter Posting that he's coming to Blackburn, and I thought you're taking the piss, aren't you? No way. But you know he's 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 come in and signed for him, which is. I think he'd been playing in the second tier in Germany. Yeah, with he, with, I think, with with Hamburg. Hamburg. Yeah, but no, I mean on paper sounds like a yeah a great signing. It is a great signing. Gary Rowett came out this week and apologised to Stoke fans for being confrontational, um, which he reckons might have cost him his job. Do Stoke fans wish you were still in charge? Do you reckon? Um, is there any club that he's managed that still wish he was in charge? Birmingham, maybe. Yeah. I don't think Derby fans wish. No, he was Derby, still in Derby charge. fans quite happy to see the back of him. But he made a good point that Stoke were ninth when they sacked him, and they'd lost. I think it was three and eighteen, three and eighteen games, which they might have reached the playoffs last season. I mean, it was. Considering how reluctant they've been to pull the trigger this season, mm. it does seem a little bit odd that they sacked him when they were doing okay before. I, th- I think it was the the fan backlash to him, but fair enough for him coming out and saying that on a um, a, a podcast this week. Um, but that's news for the championship this week. If there's anything else that we've missed, you know, let us know, and uh, we'll try and fit it into next week. But moving on to the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Now I'm slightly nervous that this is too easy, but well, I, we'll, I don't know. We'll test my knowledge. Well, I, you, the, your your criteria of has to have made at least two hundred mm. championship because I kept coming up with players and I was thinking, oh yeah, and so I was looking at Shefki Kuki, <laughs> only played hundred and something games, yeah. and then I kept coming up with these people thinking, oh yeah, I remember that one. And anyway, so um, I, I, I'm sorry, Ryan, but I could be letting letting you down here. I think, but anyway. So I made 205 <laughs> championship appearances, scoring 57 and assisting 32. Ooh, so 205, scored 57, assisted 32. So he's got to be an attacking midfielder slash maybe winger. 205 appearances, scored 52. Scored 57, assisted 
it's too many assists for a striker, so it's got to be it's got to be a winger. Uh, nothing comes to my head. Darren Huckerby. No. Uh, I played for four championship clubs. Four championship clubs. <sighs> Robbie Blake. Nope. I've played and scored in the top five divisions of English football and the FA Cup, League Cup and EFL Trophy. That's just, that makes it really hard. <laughs> so he's played in all the divisions because players like Robin, Shaw, they come straight to your head with that sort of stat, but that's too many assists for and not enough goals for him. Um, screw it. Robin, Shaw? No. Hmm. Okay. Um... When I made my first team debut on the 27th of February 1999, I became the youngest player ever to play in the Premier League. I reckon he held for four years. And then, was it James Vaughan who broke that? Or was it James Milner? Which one are you going for? I'm not not guessing. I'm oh, just right, okay. broke broke the um, youngest Premier League, youngest player in the Premier League. I think, I think Aaron Lennon broke his record. Mm. So he, he made his debut in 1999. He's played for four clubs, 200, two, 205 appearances, 57 goals, 32 assists. That's really bloody hard. Surprisingly hard. I thought it'd be easier. You made it out like it okay. was a bit easier. Um, made his debut in 1999. Could he still be playing now, 20 years on? Christ. I don't know, next clue. Okay. I was promoted to the Premier League twice in three seasons with the same club. Twice in three seasons. That screams West Brom to me. Ah. Give you the years. Does that help? Or? Yeah, got them. 2007 and 2009. 2007, 2009. Is it Kevin Phillips? No, it's not Kevin Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Ah. Between 1998 and 2013, I played most of my football for two Midlands clubs who are just 19 miles apart, one of which was my hometown club. So he went up in 2007 yeah. and 2000. And played in the Prem in 2008, got relegated, and then they got promoted again in 2009. So he, he played for Birmingham in 2007. And 2008. And 2009. Oh, shit. Is it Gary McSheffrey? It's Gary McSheffrey, it's <laughs> correct. <laughs> Plucked that one right out there. That was really, yeah. that was really tricky. He scored in all five divisions and I didn't all the that. cups as well. Yeah, He's go. a player that I completely forgot playing in the Premier League. He didn't play much in the Premier League. No. He played quite a lot in the two promotion seasons, but not much in the Premier League. Yeah, he was... And then went back to Coventry and was... Yeah. He was a player that always scored for Coventry against Derby. Absolutely hated playing against him. Always score. I think he's still playing non-league. I think he's playing for... Might be someone like Frickley Athletic or someone, I think. There you go. That's a bit of information. <laughs> right, that's the second tier podcast. I've been joined by Nick Parkhouse... Have you enjoyed it? It's been a pleasure. Does it rank highly with your life achievements? It is. It's right up there, to be honest. Can I mention pointless? Well, you already have. (laughs) (laughs) It's second only to that. Yeah. Nick won an episode of Pointless, so he's already higher than Ryan in terms of media. What in terms of media exposure? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Winner's corner. I didn't get a football question, though. Which was disappointing. So, well, hopefully, next one reapply. Get on reapply. it. Reapply. Second or mastermind. Well, your special subject is Gary McSheffrey. Gary McSheffrey. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. 
Anyway, I've been Justin Peach. I've been Nick Parkhouse. Thank you very much. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.